0: Howdy, peeps. Welcome to episode 23 of the Ingressive Voices podcast with your host, Wayne Ashley, a division of NILOC Media, LLC. From the July 14th edition of the Selene Courier, the headline reads, COVID cases continue to soar. The trend of COVID-19 cases up over a thousand continued on Wednesday with 1,309 new cases, according to the Arkansas Department of Health. That brings the cumulative total to 360,258. Active cases increased by 670 to 8,804. There were seven new deaths for a total of 5,977. And it goes on from there. If you've never heard of the Celine Courier, which is not Saline, but Celine Courier, I begin with that paper and those numbers because that is the newspaper of my actual hometown, my actual birthplace. The same paper that announced the marriage of my parents, the birth of many, many of my family members, printed the obituaries of my beloved grandparents, aunts and uncles, that have passed on, and the paper that celebrated my graduation from Benton High School. There's no liberal lies being spread here, and the numbers are not being cooked up by some left-wing shadow billionaire. As a native Arkansan, part-time Missourian, and beloved Texan and Houstonian, it breaks my heart to see this region of the country being so ravaged by COVID, the places that I know and I love. And to that, so much of the American carnage being reaped during the current fourth wave of this disease is preventable. I have to be honest, it's tough to process and it's not something I can just read about and move on. For example, many in the liberal media consider much of Texas and these other states as, quote, throwaway places and they sure don't understand places like the Texas congressional district of say Louie Gomer which is most of east texas and northeast texas for those wondering but that very district of some of the nation's most vociferous trump supporters is also home to some of my dearest friends people that marched beside that i marched beside in marching band when i was in college my fraternity brothers and folks that spent good many sleepless nights together laughing, crying, and scheming. All of this to say, it's time for the lies being spread by right-wing media like Fox News and so-called leaders in the Republican, excuse me, Republic cult to end. Public health is not politics. And as so many red pockets of our country are learning right now, playing politics with public health may work for the moment, but eventually it becomes a gamble with the lives of those that put you in office. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says that the time for mask mandates is over. But one wonders if he'll change his tune when he he realizes that it's his most ardent supporters that are being severely sickened hospitalized and even killed without the tools of wearing a mask one thing is for certain former president donald trump does not care if he did he would publicize the fact that he himself was one of the first people in the country to get vaccinated instead of continuing to fuel the flames of skepticism he and fox news top shelf idiot tucker carlson have been so irresponsible that it's not unfair to say that they, too, have blood on their hands. In less lethal news, the showdown of the Texas legislature continues. As Governor Greg Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, and Speaker of the Texas House, Dade Phelan, all Republicans as you probably know, continue to try and punish members from afar. Democrat members of the Texas House and Texas Senate remain in exile. But despite what lies are being told on right-wing media, Texas legislators had very good reason to flee the state. The heinous voter suppression bill, which Republican, excuse me, Republic-cult, members claim in the name of election integrity, basically seeks to disadvantage urban voters, voters of color, and disabled voters in every way imaginable. After Harris County increased turnout in the 2020 elections by offering services like drive-through voting and overnight voting for third shift workers, Republicans, excuse me again, the Republic cult, decided that those innovative measures somehow caused harm. And as if limiting voting hours wasn't enough, they even wanted to slip a provision in the bill which would allow them to overturn the results due to frequently occurring ballot errors, like a slightly misspelled name or date. Of course, those of us in Texas have seen these movies before. In fact, we've seen in almost every legislative session for a decade, Texas already has the strictest voting laws in the nation because in previous sessions, they passed ridiculous voter ID measures meant to disenfranchise citizens that don't have an ID or have trouble pursuing one. I've long said that if voter ID were truly the problem, Democrats and Republicans should be able to find an easy solution. And if Texas wanted everyone to vote, They would help citizens vote by issuing free IDs to every citizen that doesn't have one by making an effort to issue those IDs. The law would allocate funds to go into black and brown communities, go into them, find citizens without an ID and issue them for free. Spread the word, educate voters, let them know that they need to have an ID. Put some gumption into that issue if it's something that is so worrying for the right. But in all of the voter ID laws that the state has passed, that's the one thing that never seems to make it into the Republic Cults bill. They never want to actually issue IDs. They just want to protect against those that don't have one. But never is there a, a significant effort to actually produce IDs. The last time that there was even a semblance of that effort was with former judge of Harris County, Ed Emmett, and some Republicans at the time that were, more, uh, that were more serious about these things, trying to make them work. And of course, those efforts were squashed by the state as well. But what does happen? Real Texas voters show up to the polls and face confusion over a laundry list of changes and hindrances for them to be able to cast a ballot. That's the other thing we never talk about. For all of these voter suppression laws, the confusion is also the point. Keep moving things around like a game of whack-a-mole because at the end of the day, that should hurt Democrats more. But rest assured, it's highly unlikely that Democrats will forget the terrors of the 2021 legislative session, whether it be in Texas or across the nation. Anger and threats that have happened so often and will continue to happen between now and next November, could actually be the formula needed to turn Texas blue. Let's talk strategy for a moment. Though I do applaud the Texas Democrats for their courage and immense sacrifice, and applaud them for all of the media attention that they have been able to gather over these heinous voter suppression measures that Republicans have been doing in Texas. The reality is that they cannot run forever. Abby Livingston of the Texas Tribune sums this up quite well in her recent article. In their second week hunkered down in the nation's capital, the Democrats' primetime interviews are slowing down and their meetings with members of Congress are spacing out. They are getting a crash course in Washington dysfunction and confronting the reality that their legislative issues are not immune to legislative paralysis. Though speaking with lawmakers in Washington is important, it still does little to generate momentum for their cause. Democrats, and truly all of those opposed to these most terrifying voter suppression bills, seem to be unaware of their most powerful asset. The testimonies of people, community members, instead of playing defense to the Republic, you know what I mean, Republic cult every day, why aren't they collecting the information of election workers? If 2020 truly was the most secure and in many ways, most successful election in decades, let the people that ran and participated in that election tell the story. For example, in Harris County, the implementation of drive through voting was a smashing success. Voters from every political stripe voted via drive through voting. Many, many Republicans that I met used the service. So why are we not saying that? Interview voters, for example, in Congressman Dan Crenshaw's district that may have used drive-in voting. Ask them what they thought about it and how they feel learning that the state now wants to take it away. Basically, put the Republic cult legislators on the defensive and make them explain why all of these voter suppression measures are needed. We already know that this works. During the regular legislative session, one iteration of this heinous bill sought to cut Sunday voting hours from an 11 a.m. start time back to 1 p.m., a clear effort meant to harm souls to the polls organizing efforts by black churches. It was unveiled during the final hours of the session with immediate objections by Democrats on the House floor. But during debate, not a single Republican, excuse me again, cult member raised an issue with the bill but on NPR when representative Travis Clardy was pressed on the issue for why the times on Sundays were changed he stated that it was a quote scrivener's error in the bill and lawmakers never meant to change the start time from 11 a.m. they never meant to harm any efforts by the black community well as a Texan I know bull crap when I hear it. Representative Clardy lied because he was on national, a national interview. He lied because the Republicans got caught. This is how you play offense. Catch them in the act of harming voters. Take each specific issue with the bill and use it as a preface to interview voters that would be effective. Put That interview in the media and call them out Democrats are not doing enough of this type of action if we ever hope to beat the wave of voter suppression bills the only way to do it is to catch them in the act and hold them over the fire with their comments and with their terrible legislation and now for our texas powerplex update you may recall from a previous episode that the texas powerplex is our new name for the greater houston region and a way that we can discuss news and important events that occur across our region that's not just in harris county but things that are related to all of us within this region of Greater Houston, some of us define as Southeast Texas, but for aggressive voices, we're gonna use the term Texas Powerplex. Though the big news is the same as everywhere else this time, the rising COVID numbers. Though Harris County is ahead of the curve across the Houston Metro, with currently 53% of its 5 million residents fully vaccinated, it's not the top county in the region. Outperforming even Harris County is our neighbor Fort Bend, which leads the region in vaccination rates with nearly 60% of residents fully vaccinated. So still short of our national goal, but certainly doing a good job and we need that momentum to continue in Fort Bend County and hope that we can get some more momentum in some surrounding counties because that's where the real worry is coming in, is in counties like Galveston County and Rosoria County, places that are just barely breaking out of the 30 and 35% range of vaccinations. That's very scary and very dangerous for us right now. Impacts of the fourth wave are starting to become apparent. Even as Governor Abbott tries to pretend that the time for COVID mandates, particularly mask mandates, is over, Texas businesses are starting to get a clue. Restaurants are back to limiting dine-in service or shuttering it entirely. And school district employees are nervously planning to reopen, quotes, in a very uncertain environment. The city of Houston itself has just announced the cancellation of its now iconic Pride Parade, originally set to occur in August. They canceled it due to, once again, the rise in COVID numbers. And word of large entities like Pride, once again canceling events, is sure to have a ripple effect across the powerplex. Of course, like the powerplex and the rest of the country, we know why these numbers of vaccinations continue to lag so terribly. A root cause of this is vaccine skepticism and is much rampant across rural counties and other places, particularly in Texas, as we, as we said at the start of the show. But here's an interesting wrinkle in that whole situation. So much of this skepticism, which has been fueled by the right-wing media They are beginning to change their tune, as Oliver Darcy of CNN Business reports. Tucker Carlson has called the idea of vaccine passports the medical equivalent of Jim Crow laws. And other Fox News personalities have spent months both trafficking in anti-vaccine rhetoric and assailing the concept of showing proof of vaccination status. But Fox Corporation, the right-wing talk channel's parent company, has quietly implemented the concept of a vaccine passport as workers slowly return to the company's offices. Fox employees, including those who work at Fox News, received an email obtained by CNN Business from the company's Human Resources Department in early June that said Fox had developed a secure voluntary way for employees to self-attest their vaccination status. The concept, which was first reported by Ryan Grimm on The Hill's streaming show, is known internally as Fox Clear Pass. Fox News has spent months portraying the notion that people might be asked to show the vaccination status as dangerous to personal freedom and even anti-American. So, Fox News hosts are clearly not practicing what they preach, including lead opinion personality Tucker Carlson. If Tucker is truly so opposed to the thought of vaccine passports, why hasn't he handed in his resignation letter to Rupert Murdoch by now? I guess the rich, white, male, hyper-privileged host doesn't understand Jim Crow as well as he thinks. And finally, on today's Ingressive Voices cast, a note about work. A recent article from Andrew Murphitt of LinkedIn News shares the following update on the vociferous office versus work from home war. And here's his article. Even as COVID-19 cases expand and companies like Apple postpone return to office dates. A number of firms are demanding a return to in-person attendance. Many offices nationally are already at full capacity, the Wall Street Journal writes, and scores more insist Labor Day is a fair target date for a return. There's some irony there. Managers say they're frustrated by 16 months of remote work fearful workers lower their productivity at home and insist teams perform better together in the same physical space. The return to office debate has caused a generation gap between younger employees who enjoy the advantages of remote work and older managers who value working in the office. So let's try to understand this a little bit better bosses are demanding a return to in-person attendance as COVID numbers increase due to the Delta variant and possibly even the Lambda variant. And here I am thinking that we left Eveline cracking that whip across the sweatshop singing, don't nobody bring me no bad news. Here I am thinking we left that back in the seventies. I guess I was wrong. That doesn't seem like a smart strategy, in my opinion. The truth is, we're still in the pandemic, and recent weeks should be clear evidence of that fact. These bosses and their demands will be the same bosses blamed if their office has a big COVID outbreak. And even without some massive event, in the age of social media backlash, the sweatshop approach is likely to be exposed soon enough, and today's bosses may be tomorrow's job seekers. Rather than operate in absolutes, is it not possible to add some creativity into the work structure? Demanding everyone return is not only ineffective, but shows a dearth of concern for the needs of individual employees. The most successful bosses are the ones that have taken the time to listen to their staff and find a solution or hybrid of solutions based on the ones that know the office best, workers themselves. And even if the proposed solutions have been tried and still don't work, employees will be far more invested in a boss that at least gave their ideas a good faith effort. But whatever the approach, what we don't need are more whip cracks from wannabe Evelines. And that's it, peeps. Thanks so much for taking in this episode of Ingressive Voices. Until next time, I'm Wayne Ashley.